If you'll remember, uh, last week uh, we talked about being, you know, book of, in the book of James, uh, which Pam was gracious to correct me. I said I had not preached on that since I'd been here, and she said, oh, yes, you have. So I stand corrected. Thank you, Pam. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I have preached out of the book of James here before. Uh, so that was my second time preaching out of the book of James. But we talked about being a doer of the word. You remember, uh, we spoke about what it means to be a doer, not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. And this scripture today and this uh, book of Ephesians goes right along with that. Uh, it fits right in with James. And Paul does a real good job of bringing out uh, some concepts that you and I as children of God uh, really need to hold true and dear in our lives. Now understand as well, uh, when we get into this scripture, we're just going to be getting a snapshot. We could, you know, of course spend many, many weeks in the book of Ephesians. We could spend many, many weeks just in chapter 5, uh, but we're going to have to break it down to about three verses uh, to fit it uh, within our time frame this morning. So let's get right into it. Ephesians chapter 5, let's begin reading in verses 14, we'll go through 17. Scripture says this, Wherefore he said, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, as we see in this scripture, of course, we're catching at the end of the statement that Paul is writing to the people over in the area of Ephesus. This being the book of Ephesians, it's of course addressed to those over at Ephesus. Just a little uh, background on what Paul is doing here. There are several statements that he makes within Ephesians, the book itself, that let us know that, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times when he's writing letters, when uh, the disciples write letters, they address them to the church at so-and-so, or the church here, the church there, and they're actually writing to the, you know, this is the beginning throes of the of the new church, and a lot of times these are Jewish believers uh, that they're writing these letters to. But Paul here is writing specifically to Gentile believers over at Ephesus. And we know this because we see it uh, in several uh, statements that he makes throughout uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, 2.11 mentions the Gentiles specifically. We see that in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 6. And we see it also in uh, chapter 4, verse 17. He mentions specifically that he's speaking to Gentile believers. So uh, that would probably get most of us today. And what we need to understand is because he's not writing directly to, <coughs> excuse me, not writing directly to the Jewish believers, he speaks specifically to those things that the Gentile believers would have to 
uh, deal with in their life, making this transition from uh, what would before time be known as a pagan or a heathen uh, to now a believer in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And these things are uh, very near and dear to you and I today because they help us to pinpoint areas in our life where we can have a closer walk with Christ. Notice what he said there in the 14th verse, because there in the fifth chapter, uh, you know, he speaks specifically of, of who we are in Christ in the first uh, two or three chapters there. And in, in chapter four, he begins to move more into the practical application of how, how you and I as believers can live and walk daily uh, in the, the wisdom of Christ and live our lives that people can see Christ in us. And he's continuing this in chapter 5. And, you know, he goes into uh, the first, you know, 13 verses there in chapter 5. If you, uh, you know, go back and, and read them if you have a chance sometime today. And you'll see that Paul uh, is not playing around. <laughs> Paul's known for this, but he's not playing around. And, you know, like I said, we talked about this. The guys, we talked about this Thursday night. Uh, and, and Paul was very specific uh, and what he was talking about. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, foolishness of the world. He's talking about, uh, you know, these things not even being named among you. Let, let them not once be named among you. In other words, we are to walk a, a truly, truly perfect life. And, you know, people will, you know, argue today and say, well, there's no way that you and I can be perfect. You know, we've, we've lost perfection. There's no way we can be perfect. Uh, but we can be perfect in Christ. You see, it's not determined upon me to be perfect. Perfection will never come from me. It will only come from Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And when Christ is living through us, when we are the reflection of Jesus Christ to a the world, they can see that perfection. You see, that's what Scripture speaks of. No good and well that, that I'm not going to be perfect. People's not going to look at me and say, well, he's perfect. They're not. I know you don't believe that, Brother Archie, but they're not going to. People are not going to look at me and say, he's perfect. They're not going to. But when they see Christ in me, they can see the perfection of Christ. Now, uh, Paul reaches back in Isaiah because that's where this 14th verse, that's where he reaches back to. Isaiah uh, chapter 60 and verse 1 is where he gets this from. He reaches back. He says, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Notice what he's saying to these Gentile believers. Now he mentions several things in their life that they participated in before time, before they became believers in Jesus Christ. Now, did you know that before we became believers in Jesus Christ, that we were dead and the trespass of our sins, we were dead. Did you know that when we, you and I were created there in the garden, when Adam and Eve were uh, formed in the Garden of Eden, that it was the intention that they should never die. They were to be eternal. Oh, we still are eternal, yes, but we have to go through transition. Don't we? we have to be uh, redeemed of our sins. You see, they were sinless. Now, this is what Paul is speaking of. It's what Isaiah was speaking of when he was prophesying to Israel. And when he spoke these words about awaking from your sleep, about rising from the dead. 
And if you'll notice uh, what Paul says there, awake thou that sleepest. Uh, that uh, what he's talking about there when he says awake thou that sleepest, that word sleep there, uh, what it's talking about is a sleep as being brought back from the dead. To call one back from the dead. It's not like going into the bedroom and waking somebody up saying, you need to get up, time to get up. No, it speaks of a sleep as one that is dead. And you and I, we were dead in our sins. We were dead to life in Christ. We were dead to doing anything uh, that had any meaning or any purpose in this life. And did you know today uh, that there are untold countless numbers of people around us, our families, our friends, our community that are the walking dead? Now, I know there's all kinds of shows on TV that talk about the very same thing. I'm talking about something different. This is a different walking dead. You see, when you meet with these walking dead, when you just look at them, you'd never know it. You'd never be able to tell they look the same as any other believer. They look the same as any other fine-looking Christian that you might see in church somewhere. But they are indeed the walking dead. They are dead in the trespass of their sins. But Paul says to these believers, writing to the believers now, to these believers over at Ephesus, awake thou that sleepest. In other words, rise up from the dead. You have been risen from the dead. We were dead in the trespasses of our sins, but through the forgiveness, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been made alive. Do you know how great that is? Do you know how great that is to know that death no longer has any dominion over us? Death may take this mortal body, but it will not take that which is truly us, our soul. That belongs to God. That is His. It is in the hands of Christ. And Christ says, it's also in the hands of my Father. Uh, do you think uh, that there's any way uh, that anyone could get in there and take us out? No, they can't. Can't do it. Can't be done. We are safely in His hands. But you see, Paul says, you have to wake up. That word sleep there, means it means to arouse from the sleep of death. Arouse from the sleep of death. People around us are the walking dead. And we are called to arouse them from their sleep. We are called to be a light to our friends, to our family, to our community. How in the world do you think that they're going to find out otherwise? Do you think somebody's going to turn on the TV and hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, they've got these TV preachers. No, no, no. Do you think somebody's going to pick up a newspaper and hear the good news of Jesus Christ? I read an article last week. It was talking about the guy started off with a proclamation that was passed in the United States Senate. And it began... Uh, you know, it was a, a resolution that was passed. It was proclaiming a national day of prayer, uh, calling on the uh, blessings secured from our creator uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, I began to read that. And I'm like, what? And then, of course, uh, when he got to the end, he said, of course, this resolution was passed in 1863. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. It was nothing that you would see today. The name of Christ is not named. You see, people will say that's one of many ways. They'll say that there are many ways to heaven, but what the scripture teaches us is what? What does Jesus say? I'm the way. I'm the way. I'm not a way. I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you see, when we deviate from that, we're out of here. And when we're out of here, we're dead. We're dead. Paul says, you got to wake up. Awake, O sleeper. Awake from your death that you are in. Arise from the dead and what Christ shall give thee light. You see, I have people in my family that like to talk about light. But they don't talk about the light of Christ. They think this light comes from somewhere. People that I love, people that are very near and dear to me. They've got into, uh, you know, uh, Eastern type religions and, and, they, and they think that, that light exists in all kind of different shapes, forms, and fashions. Uh, it's, it's pantheistic is what it is. In other words, uh, everything is God and God is everything. And that's a bunch of foolishness. That's just a bunch of foolishness is what it is. But you see, that's death. That is death. Because God is the light. Jesus is the light. There is no other light except him. There is no other life except him. And if we are not living that to a lost and a dying world, if we're not telling that to a lost and a dying world, they're not going to get the real deal. They might get an artificial light. They might get an artificial life, but they won't get the real one. And if they don't, we hadn't woke up from the dead, have we? Because we've got to wake up and we've got to tell those around us. We've got to be a witness to those around us. Paul tells those believers, wake up from your sleep. You've got to rise up from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Did you know you don't have to do this by yourself? You know you're not on your own. A lot of people in our our, our, the, our day and time will, will feel like that they're walking by themselves. They'll feel like that nobody cares about them. They'll feel like that they uh, can't do this thing, that there's just so much that's going against them in this world, that they can't truly walk the life of Christ, but you can. You're not alone. You're not doing this by yourself. As a matter of fact, if I depended on my own strength, I'd have done give up a long time ago. But you see, it's when we draw our strength from Christ, when we get in this word and commune with him and allow him to live through our life, that's where our strength comes from. It doesn't come from us. It comes from him, doesn't it? Paul says that to the believers over there. Get up. Raise up from the dead. Christ is going to be your light. And then notice what he says there in the 15th verse. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Good old King James. We like that, don't we? Circumspectly. Everybody knows what circumspectly means, don't we? I can't even hardly say it, much less define it. Circumspectly is that Greek word akribos. Akribos, everybody knows that. And it means this, exactly, accurately, diligently. Notice what Paul is saying. See then that you walk accurately. See then that you walk exactly. 
See then that you walk diligently, not as a fool. That's pretty plain, isn't it? That's pretty plain what he's saying. You see, a lot of people would tell you what? Uh, when we were young, we heard, you know, stupid sayings like, uh, everybody needs to get out and, you know, experience life or sow your wild oats, any other kind of foolish saying like that. Paul says, no, you need to walk exactly in Christ. You need to be diligent in your walk with Christ. You need to be exact in what you do for him. And you see, that's what God demands of the believer. He is holy and he calls us to be holy. That holiness, once again, not coming through me, not coming through us. It's coming through him. We live our life in him. Paul said to the believers over there that they were to walk in this way exactly, diligently, circumspectly. They were to be that way, not as what? Fools, but as wise, not as fools. We know by definition the word teaches us what a fool is. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, I've never said that. My, my friends, never. I've never heard them say that. Uh, my family, they, they don't say that. The words may not be coming out of their mouth, but their life speaks plenty for them. You know what I'm talking about. They may not be saying the words, there is no God, but they don't have to because their life is speaking volumes. This is what Paul is talking about. Don't be like that fool that says there is no God. Every one of us knows someone. Every one of us has loved ones in our family. There are people all around us in our community that are proclaiming with their life there is no God. How sad. How sad. I was thinking the other day as I was watching uh, a, a program that had to do with uh, the uh, different religions. And one of the things that, that they were speaking on or, you know, talking about, they were, uh, you know, showing the, different things that were going, you know, during the, the death of someone. And, you know, it just, it just struck me. It just struck me to think how many people, how many people in the 24 hours that it takes this earth to rotate around the sun once, how many people during that time go out of the walks of this life lost? <laughs> Not knowing Jesus Christ. How sad that, I mean, that should break our heart. Yes, I do not agree with these other religions. Yes, I think they are wrong. But it is the devil that has deceived them. Starting way back when, he's built a world of deception. People bring their children up, teaching them deception because Satan years and years and years ago uh, put these seeds in someone's mind to deceive them, what? That there is no God. That there is many gods. 
that there's a God for this one and a God for that one. But he has deceived them. And through all those years, years of teaching that deception, now we have nations uh, that believe in false religions. We have uh, untold numbers and millions of uh, billions of people uh, that believe a false religion. All because they believe the lie of Satan. That's why Paul says what he says. It is important to be precise, to be exact, to be accurate in our walk with Jesus Christ. If we deviate this way or that way, it could mean someone's eternity. It could mean someone's eternity. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. You see, in this life, we're just preparing to begin to live. Did you know that? Well, I thought we were living now. No. <laughs> oh, no. No, we're just getting ready to live. We're just getting ready to be alive. We are just getting ready to experience what life truly is. Paul says, I want you to get the most out of it. So you be precise. You be exact. You be accurate in your walk. With Jesus Christ. Not as the fools. But as wise. Here we go. Verse 16. Redeeming the time. Because the days. Are evil. Redeeming the time. Because the days. Are evil. We talked a lot about this this past Thursday. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. How many times are you going to say that, Joey? <laughs> as many as I can. Because that is what Paul is talking about. That word redeeming there is the Greek word kairos. And it means this. Do measure. Redeeming the time. The word time there. I said the word redeeming. The word time. He's not talking about time as in your watch or on your phone. He's not talking about minutes, hours, days, years. He's not talking about that kind of time. He's talking about the time. You see, what kind of time do we live in? What kind of time are we in? You see, when God created us, go back to Genesis. Do that a lot, don't we? When, when God created us there in the garden, what? It was our time. It was the time of mankind. Man was created. Man was created to bring honor and glory to God. That's why Adam and Eve were created. God called them man. They were created to bring honor and glory to God. That was our time. But you know what? We did what? We gave it away, didn't we? We gave that time away to Satan. We gave it away to Satan and allowed him to come in and to do what he wanted to. It became his time. 
Scripture tells us that uh, Satan himself is the prince of the power of the air of this world. It's his time because we allowed him. We gave it to him. It is his time. So what's Paul talking about? Redeem the time because the days are evil. To redeem something is what? To pay the price to get something back that someone has obtained. Redeeming the time. Think about this, Christian. The time that we live in, the times that we are around us, Satan seems to be winning, doesn't he? Seems like all around us, Satan is in control. People are mean. People are nasty. People are just rotten to one another. You can't even hardly talk to people today. Any, any topic, religion, politics, sports. I mean, my goodness, people just want to rip your head off. They don't even hardly want to try to get along. There's so many things in this life that can separate us. Paul says, don't allow this, believer. You are bigger than this. Not because I'm somebody or who I am, but because of who's in me. <laughs> who's in me? Greater is he that is in you, what? Than he that is in the world. Paul says, redeem the time. Get back what belongs to you. That is your witness for the, to the lost and the dying world. That is your witness to all that are around you. That is what you were created for. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. It belongs to him. And you see, Paul says, get that back. That belongs to you. And we get that back when what? We become a believer in Jesus Christ. Christ's blood redeems us from our sins. And then we as believers are to turn right around and to redeem the time the due measure of what belongs to us. And that is that we were created to bring him glory. But the fact of the matter, what most people are living for is to bring themselves glory. You know it as well as I do. Our society, our culture teaches what? Me first. Look out for number one. You better get it because nobody's going to give it to you. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. You ain't got to go out and grab it. You ain't got to go out and get it. He knows what you need before you even ask for it. How about that? How about that? And he says, I'm going to supply your every need. You belong to me. 
I, I've told you this before. You know it about me. Man, I'm, I'm as, you know, I try to be as calm and as easygoing as anybody that there is. But you mess with one of my kids, it's on. It is on. It's not going to happen. Not while there's breath in my life. No. And you see, as flawed and as, as sorry and as, as good for nothing as I am, I can have that much love for my children. How much greater is the love of God for his children? He sent Jesus to get us back, to redeem us. He redeems us. Now we should redeem our time, redeem what we were created to do, bring honor and glory to him. Let's close with this. Verse 17, Paul says, Wherefore be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I heard this one before, hadn't you, Christian? You've heard this one before. As we spoke about it Thursday night, I said we may have even said it. Matter of fact, I know I've said it. Back in you know my younger days when I was first beginning to learn, and it's okay if you've ever said it. They don't make you wrong. It don't make you, uh, you know, a heathen or anything like that. But we've all probably uttered the words, if I only knew what God's will was for my life. If I only knew what his will was, I'd be doing it. I'd be doing it, Lord, if I just knew what your will was. Good news. Good news. We know what God's will is. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing. So if he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance then he is willing that no one should perish and that everybody should repent. It is his will that everyone be saved. Some people will argue with you about that. Some people will say, no, that cannot be true because we cannot go against the will of God. I don't know where they got that at. Don't know where they got that at. Men do it every day. Mankind does it every single day. They circumvent the will of God because God's will is that everyone, everyone, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, Tea Party, Green Party, whatever you are, it's God's will that you should be saved. Red, yellow, black. Why? Whatever color of your skin is, it's God's will that you should be saved. American, Russian, Chinese, Japanese, whatever nation, nationality you are, it's God's will that you should be saved. And you see, we've got so caught up 
and the things of this world that we've lost sight of God's will for our life. You see, there's all kind of men and, and ministries out here that think that they believe that it's God's will that they should build up some kind of organization. Well, it's God's will that I should, you know, have this many uh, uh, books written or something, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. Everything that's doing nothing but building their own kingdom. It's God's will that we go out and rescue the lost. Paul speaks to this very same thing in Ephesians, the first chapter of Ephesians. He mentions this very same thing. He said this in Ephesians 1 verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Here we go, mystery. Some people say, what is the will of God? It's a mystery. Yes, but he's made known unto us. You see, this is Paul writing to these Gentile believers. He's letting us know what God's will is. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to, to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So you see, Paul lets us know right off the bat that there's nothing we can do to argue against this. That we have to realize and understand who we are, what our place is. He has created us. He has given us life. He's put the breath in us. He holds this world together. Colossians 1.17, by him all things consist, are held together. He holds this world together. Without him, we die. Without him, we die. And people go around cursing and spitting in his face every day. How patient, how loving, how kind do you think his is? Way more than I ever would be. You got that right. But Paul says that the mystery of his will is according to his good pleasure. In other words, his will, which he has purposed in himself. Get this, verse 10 now. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. You see, I mentioned this last week. Now I mentioned it the week before that. But when Christ was here, all he sought to do was to bring glory to the Father. And when the Father looked down and saw the Son, all he wanted to do was bring glory to the Son. And you see, it is God's will that all things become one in Christ. We see that in Revelation. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. You see, when Christ brings all things together, he will then present them to the Father. I mean... You can't get around that. And it's God's will that all things become one in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. 
That's his will. You see, uh, a Cadillac, a big fine house, a promotion. These are all good. It's okay. It's all right if you got a Cadillac. It's all right if you got a big house. It's all right if you want a promotion. But you see, don't be sticking these things into God's will for your life. Saying, if I don't have these things, then I don't have God's will for my life. Because money, fame, fortune, all these things that Satan is trying to sell you have nothing to do with God's will for our life. It is God's will that all things be one in Christ, in heaven and in earth. Last time I checked, that didn't have anything to do with what Joey thought. I'm pretty sure if I checked again, it'd still be the same way. Ain't got nothing to do with what Joey thinks, what Joey wants. I'm created in his image. I'm supposed to reflect his glory. Ain't got nothing to do with J.D. Notice what Paul says. He goes on. God's will that all things be one in Christ. And you see, this, this is totally in line with what we just read in 2 Peter. That it's God's will that none perish and that all should be saved. Because you see, that's bringing everything together as one in Christ. Verse 11, he says, in whom, here we go now. For those of you that feel, well, you know, you know, because I, I, I know how some people think. I mean, I know how big a deal uh, self-esteem and, and, you know, uh, personal, uh, you know, a belief in, in, in all this stuff is today about, you know, this, you got this feel-good religion. We got this, uh, you know, happy-go-lucky stuff. Uh, you know, we got the good buddy Jesus. Jesus just wants to be your friend and all that kind of jive going on today. But listen, we are called to be one in Christ. But notice this, verse 11. For all those folks who think, well, God don't care nothing about me. He's just, you know, uh, up there on his throne and he just wants us to be his servants. You better read verse 11. Listen as I read verse 11. Because this is God's will. In whom? Talking about Christ. The one that God wants to bring all things together as one in Christ. So in whom? In him. In whom also... We, the believer, Jew, Gentile, the believer in Jesus Christ, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. Woo! There you go. You want something for your troubles? You want something for your trials? There you go. I spoke about my ability to leave an inheritance last week. Wouldn't do you very much good, would it? But listen... This inheritance is the greatest thing that you'll ever get. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated. Get this now. Not God choosing everybody before time. Being predestinated according to what? The purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Predestinated according to the purpose of him. Anytime you have that word predestination, 
predestinated. Anytime you have election, it is always, always, always pointing back to Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with God choosing you or God choosing me. It's God choosing Christ before the foundations of the world. And guess what? When his blood is applied to my life, guess what God sees when he looks at me? He don't see the sorry old Joey Davidson anymore. He don't see that snotty-nosed kid uh, that should have been beat to death as a, because of the punk that he was when he was a, a little kid running around. He don't see all that foolishness. No, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, because the blood is applied. Amen. Oh. And when he sees that, guess what? That kid's got an inheritance. He's mine. He's mine. Come in, my good and faithful servant. And it will have nothing whatsoever to do with anything that I have ever done. I could stand here in this pulpit and preach till I fall down dead. And I know you're like, please don't do that. I'm not going to. But you see what I'm saying? I could keep on, keep on preaching. I could, as soon as we leave here, I could, I could read my Bible. I could make Sonia drive and, and read my Bible on the way home and never stop reading it. You see, I could do all this holier than now stuff. I could do all this stuff that gives pretense that I'm some big religious guy. But all of that will mean absolutely nothing because it is only only what Christ has done that will save my soul. And you see, you know, speaking of how much God the Father loves His Son and how much He intends uh, to bring all things together in Him. And Paul speaks about this later. We see more about it in rest of the New Testament. We know how much the Father loves the Son, okay? And get this, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. You see, that means something when it says that you become a joint heir with Christ. That means something, don't it? That means something. When his kingdom is established on this earth, who do you think he's going to put in charge? Who do you think is going to go to work for him in his administration? We've seen all this stuff going on in the past week. You know, we got one administration going out, another coming in up there in Washington, D.C. And you got what? Uh, it's not just the fact that you got one man coming in as a new president, but what he's bringing all these other people and appointing them to different positions. That's us in the kingdom. Amen. That's us in the kingdom. Where do you think Christ is going to draw his administration from for this new millennial kingdom? Us. Us. That's our inheritance. If, if we have been faithful to occupy until he comes. That's what he's looking for. That's what this life is about. 
preparing to truly live. So you see, Christian, we should be redeeming our time. It's ours. Doesn't belong to Satan anymore. It's not his anymore. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And Paul says we should be redeeming our time. In other words, taking back that time that he has stolen and used to lie to the world. And we're taking that back and proclaiming Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. David, let's come with a verse of a song. And this is our invitation today. If you are here today and have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've never been saved, and I know these are church words, uh, but if you've never become a believer in Christ, in other words, trusted in what he has done for you, as Scripture tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, you believe that Christ died for your sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the Scripture. Paul says that is the definition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you, in repentance, believe that, you see, you don't come to Jesus on your own terms. You don't come to God on your terms. You don't negotiate a deal with him. You surrender. Surrender. That's repentance. That's understanding and knowing that your life, your righteousness, is filthy rags before him. And he'll save your soul. That's what you need to do today. You can do that where you're at. You want to pray? You want to make that choice, that commitment you want to believe, you can do that right where you're at if you want to. You come, tell somebody, you let somebody know, or if you want to come down here to these altars, if you want to pray, we'll pray with you, but we want you to make that commitment if you've never done that today. If you're here today and you want a closer walk, you want a life that's redeeming the time. Listen, we all strip us, trip up, we all stumble, we all fall. But it's not the fall, it's the getting back up. And God is right there, always faithful. So whatever your need is here today, let's take care of that before we leave you. This is our invitation. What you singing, Brother David?